Welcome to Unframed, the podcast which hosts talks and conversations about South African art and artists. I am your host, Anthea Pakroy. Welcome to episode 27 of Unframed. In this episode, I chat with Pumlani Ntuli about his artistic practice. This is the fifth episode in a series on Unframed called Artists in Isolation, which profiles South African artists during the lockdown period of the COVID-19 pandemic. We are living through unprecedented times, where we are needing to find new ways of connecting with each other and the broader arts community, of being inspired, and of creating more platforms for artists. Pumlani is a Johannesburg-based artist who holds a BTEC in visual arts from the University of Johannesburg. In 2017, he completed a Master in Fine Arts in the Public Sphere in Switzerland. Ntuli's work merges the ambit of artistic research, sculpture, video installations and performative practices concerning the tensions between documentary and the archive, fiction and imagined narratives. Enjoy listening to my conversation with Pumlani Ntuli. Hi, Pumlani. Um, thank you for joining us on the show today. I'm excited to have you. Welcome. Hi, Anthea. Uh, thank you for the invitation. Um, very excited to join you for this interview as well. So, Pums, for those listeners that do not know you, can you please introduce yourself? Who is Pumlani Ntuli? Hi, uh, listeners. Uh, my name is Pumlani Ntuli. I'm a visual artist working with uh, video and performance practices. And uh, I also uh, do collages. Like um, It's kind of like a kind of dialogue with some of my video work. I'm currently working at the Back Factory at the studios at the moment. Um, and of course, during the lockdown, I haven't been able to go to my studio. Like yeah. So yeah, it's been kind of working at home, which has its own um, challenges, but kind of interesting as well and for those who want to see your work while we're having this discussion where can people find you online my work is available on uh, through my website full name like pumlanintulistudio.com and also i have an instagram uh, page where i post some of my working process i do post work on instagram but it's not really necessarily like you know the whole representation of the work it's just probably like screenshots or these kind of things. Yeah, it seems like you've been making specific works during the lockdown to post on Instagram. Can you tell us about those? So, yeah, what I've been busy with like of late and uh, I've been kind of working on a series of clips. Uh, so it's kind of the work that I've been planning uh, for quite some time is like animated like a series of uh, works which are based on uh, my collage work. So since I've been working with video, I've been like experimenting a little bit with like stop animation, just animate my uh, collage uh, work. And at the same time, for me, at least there's just an experience working with video. I kind of understand the idea of stop motion and frame by frame animation, which is uh, quite an interesting uh, tool to use. Of course, it is flexible. It, it takes a little bit of time, but... I guess I've been more in tune with like uh, using like kind of different tools to speed up the process and stuff like that. Yeah. So with these stop motion animations that are that you're posting on Instagram, you're using official audio from government presentations. Am I correct? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, not not all of them, but like uh, I think it's just one. I haven't been making a lot. I, I've been making, but uh, it's just uh, a few kind of clips which I use just to, you know, share with my audiences. But obviously, yes, uh, you're right. I think one of them is uh, an audio clip from Peggy uh, Kelle when we're speaking about the um, the number of things which are not permitted. For, for example, like activities, uh, you know. Uh, yeah, well, he's basically saying that uh, certain things are not permitted, obviously, like based on uh, the current situation that we're in. Because, of course, it is like the, the animation, animated videos kind of embody a specific character. So uh, I felt that particular work spoke to what I was um, exposed to, what Peggy Taylor was saying. But it's, at the same time, it's kind of a way to reflect on it as well. So how are you doing during lockdown and during this isolated period? 
Well, during the lockdown, uh, and obviously, like prior to the lockdown, just before it started, it was just a very hasty period where one is trying to kind of speed up the process of like thinking about moving maybe studio to home to have a little bit of flexibility. Because, of course, it is kind of daunting not to be able to uh, make things when you're used to it, you know. So, yeah, for me, just prior to the lockdown, it was just like a period of outsourcing things that I thought I'd need for the 21 days. And obviously the lockdown was extended. So, I mean, I ended up using most of the things that I, I had. Like the idea of making these stop motions kind of came through as like a material. And obviously I've been uh, thinking about it for quite some time, but not necessarily like investing too much time to like focus on it. Yeah, this is what I've been uh, doing at the moment. At the same time, yeah, it is quite, a, it is, it's kind of difficult and a challenge to be working at home in one space. And like, at the same time, it feels also, it feels the kind of normal where I normally base my time between the studio and home. I want to ask you about your, a bit about your artistic background. We met, I can't remember the year, um, when you, <laughs> and tell me if there's another scenario where we met, but I think we met when you came to the Semdej Studios, right? When you got a yes, studio bursary. Was that right. when we met? I feel like we met before that. We probably have been like kind of meeting because I used to I remember I used to visit prior actually joining the assemblage community. I used to come and visit so I, I Isaac kind of and Minnie. And, yeah, and visit, yeah, yeah. yes. So it kind of felt normal. Okay. Yeah, you uh, did. You slotted in there. you slotted in like really, really easily when you moved into the studio. Yeah, so that's yeah, why yeah. you felt so, so familiar. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I think that's the familiarity with a lot of people kind of started there, like yeah. visiting, um, checking out like different artists that were working there prior to me joining. Okay. Yeah. So, so let's let's backtrack a little bit and, and tell me a little bit about your artistic journey and how you got to where you are today. Yes. Uh, well, maybe uh, how I started, obviously, um, I did a bachelor at uh, University of Johannesburg uh, back in 2008. Yeah, after finishing my bachelor's, I was fortunate enough, obviously, to get um, to Bella Workshop, which was probably like one of the things that gave me like confidence to focus on uh, artistic, my artistic practice, like seriously. Um, it was just the first opportunity that I got immediately after graduating. So I was exposed to a different artists working in different uh, contexts, Mozambique and Mauritius. Uh, a few that I'm mentioning kind of had resonated a lot more when I was exploring or thinking about. Um, sorry to interrupt, but can you maybe talk about what the Tupelo workshops are and um, kind of how that opportunity came about? It, it was started by David Kulwani, is that correct? Or he was one of the founders? Yes, uh, the Tupelo workshops, um, as far as I know, of course, yes, it was started by David Kulwani along with Pet Maudra, the founders of uh, Perfecture Artist Studios. And of course, it was also born out of uh, Cape Town as well um, with um, Great Moor Studios, uh, where I, I guess there was a sense of dialogue that happened prior even. Like I didn't, it started with the Tupelo workshop, then the Peck Factory came about later on. So yes, the, the Tupelo workshop, it, it doesn't necessarily have a particular format as a studio of a residency, uh, but it has a residency format as to like artists working in one space, exploring whatever they, they want to explore. So the workshop happened uh, when I joined in 2012, happened for like 10 days, if I'm not mistaken. It was like around 10 days. So we're just working in one environment. There was no like isolation of each artist, you know, studios partitioned and on those kind of things. So we were just like giving the project space at the back factory to work there uh, for our own projects. And obviously at the same time, uh, issues of like things like dialogue, you know, you speak a lot with different artists. The fact that you're not really isolated as a residency format, like you are all with the whole collective, you kind of bounce in each other's ideas uh, and you see what other people are doing. So, which is a really interesting format. Uh, I, I've never ever, um, but I guess the, it, it has a format of a workshop, but not like very structural and you have to produce work within this specific period that like this artist that didn't really produce anything. They were just like in dialogue and collaborating with other artists. Okay. And they are artists from all over the world that join this. Yes, yes, yes. There were different artists from Wales, uh, Germany, I guess, as well, um, Zimbabwe, Mauritius, 
and yeah, South African artists, both Johannesburg and Cape Town. So after Tupelo, I think I, because I didn't necessarily have a studio space, immediately after graduating, my main media was more sculpture, like I was trained as a sculptor, and I became more interested in performance practices because of the flexibility that one has, not necessarily working with like material per se, but working with the body. At the Tupelo workshop, what happened, I did a performance there, with interacting with the sculptural works, which I had like fabric and all this kind of thing. So I did a, a performance piece and um, it was kind of well received, got really interesting feedback and through the open studio at the end of the workshop. So also like issues of documentation, of documenting and performance and like forms of restaging it came about. So the flexibility of obviously working with the public, within the public realm came naturally the idea of working with tangible material, which demands a studio space, for me was more replaced with me working with, with the body, obviously having one or two props as part of my performances. Also, when I joined uh, Assemblage, I don't remember which year exactly, but I think it was around 2013, or if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, when I joined the, the Assemblage, um, yeah, the community was, was more diverse and more interesting. At the same time, of course, the challenge of working in performance and if you keep it on a project-to-project basis has its own difficulties, you know. Of course, the demand of making money of course, uh, yeah. and, and able to like sustain oneself from like selling work and this kind of thing. So those are some of the challenges, but I still figured myself through sculpture because that was my main media that I was really confident in. And I remember also I, got, I took part in a sculptural commission when I was at Assemblage. It was the Netherlands Commission. I don't know if you still remember that. No, just remind me. Sounds a little familiar. Yeah, it was the KKW uh, Foundation when they were partnering with Nyrox. Yeah. Yeah, so they needed uh, three artists. It was Beth, Armstrong, myself, and Rodden from Cape Town. Rodden so, yeah, Hart, we yeah. did it. Yes, we don't hard. So we did a, a sculptural commission, yeah, with the Narrows Foundation. And at the end of the at the end of the commission, it did more like a small exhibition or something like this. So yeah, I I, I was fortunate enough to like rela- realize a, a bigger project within the public space and also like thinking about my way uh, through sculpture. So after Assemblage Studios, what were you up to? Yeah, um, yes, after Assemblage Studios, I was also interested to study further, you know, and also to have a possibility to travel. And then I came about the MAPS program in Switzerland, uh, I think in 2015. Let me just tell the listeners, MAPS is a Master's in Art in the Public Sphere, right? Yes, MAPS is a two-year program in Switzerland, working kind of more like a law residency. Uh, of course, it is a study program within an institution. You take courses and things like this, like writing. So it figured around like the ideas of uh, public space or forms of being public and audience engagement. When I came across it, I was very interested because these are the issues that I was going through. And uh, at the same time, I had a desire to to travel and see different contexts. So yeah, I, I joined the MAPS program in 2015. And then, uh, of course, yes, during the time, it was just my own practice. And uh, the school was more resourced to shape one's practices to what initially they want to do. So I focused more with performance and video somehow, and obviously still maintaining more collaborative practices with different artists. And later on, uh, during the MAPS program, there was issues of the issues of archives that came about in the work. Since I've been working with found material and uh, it kind of resonated with me a little bit to kind of explore a little bit of that and to shape how issues of reenactment of the archives kind of formulate itself within the public spheres. And were these archives specific to Europe? No, no, not necessarily. Uh, so my research was based on the Marikana archive as more a, a public event, if I may say. If I were to put it within the artistic context, it will mean different things. Within civil and legal spheres, it would, would mean something else. But like my interest with Marikana was I was thinking about the public space, how the audiences engage policies and engage uh, issues of work and labor and those kind of things. Those are also pertinent within the artistic uh, narrative. I was really interested to figure out how the archive itself is conceived outside, you know, of the Marikano Commission. 
So what I I did then was uh, taking photographs and using more as a creative writing process to figure out uh, reenacting issues within the Margan itself. So you studied in Switzerland until when? Uh, so I did a two-year program. So it was 2015, late 2015, because the program started in September. And I finished in 2017. So after that, I think I stayed in Europe for a few months, maybe two or three months, just to to integrate yourself back. Like it has to be more like a thought out process, you know. And at the same time, people kind of forget you somehow, you know. It's like, <laughs> who's this guy? Like, you know. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, and then there's this kind of estrangement that happens where you're like, oh, I don't really know where I belong or what I'm doing with my life. That always um, happens after studying. Yeah, after studying, this is like more like one of the daunting experiences ever. So, yeah, I stayed in, in Europe for three months. I took um, a residency in, in Zurich. For one month, and I took another residence in Italy for a month. So it was just, then another month was just me having a holiday until I, I came back in September. How was that experience of studying abroad and, and doing residencies abroad? There's so much differences in terms of like artistic practices. It's not like um, kind of crediting Europe or anything. Obviously, like the same kind of issues that most artists deal with, they are dealing with, but maybe in a different way, you know. But necessarily for me was just an exposure to see different perceptions. And so like not that there's like so much differences with artistic practices outside of South Africa or in the African continent and in Europe per se, but artists deal with those kind of issues differently. Um, so for me, it was just a quest and a search just to find my way around it or kind of gather knowledge positions so that I can use them back at home somehow. Yeah, so it is just that only difference. But obviously, there's so many different ways of doing things, which are kind of unique here than anywhere else, you know. Yeah, I'm curious about what maybe some of those insights are. What are the things that stick out for you as differences between the European art scene and the South African art scene? Yeah, if I just speak a little bit about Switzerland, this is where I spend most of my time in between uh, Geneva and Zurich where I was, I was based in Sierra, which is a, it's a very small town in the mountains, like in the middle of nowhere. So obviously there, like, there was no, there was like, literally like nothing, <laughs> you know. Well, yeah. This is like so much happening with like art making, like there's like nothing. It was just like the school, uh, a museum, which which already is not necessarily like a, a big museum, a contemporary museum. So like in terms of infrastructure, there is support, you know, of like institutions, you know mostly coming from the government or foundations and those kind of things. So how institutions work, I think is they're kind of in tune with the political system somehow. Like uh, there is no like difference or the sense of hierarchy is not really felt that much. And obviously at the same time, that also encourages forms of ownership. You know, people feel like they are part of something or have an ability or possibility to contribute for something. The most thing that kind of resonated a lot with me in terms of artistic practices what was more an investment with like performance. There seem to be more performance-based opportunities than, for example, an exhibition that would have like two-dimensional work. Yeah, so yeah. It's, my, it's more ephemeral kind of based work. Of course, that speaks to also an economic means and material means, you know, at yeah. the same time. So you're saying that there's more tolerance to work that is not necessarily commercial? Yes, yes. There is definitely not like a low tolerance for commercial work, which, yeah, which I mean, obviously in South Africa works differently uh, at the same time, you know. Um, So most of the practices are more like ephemeral or like time-based work, video, you know. As much as like some artists would get commissions, obviously, like to make video work, time-based work whether sound piece or installation based you know uh, so there was like more of that obviously like also i think it somehow opens more uh, like a dynamic approach uh, and there's like so much risk taking uh, it doesn't necessarily feel like it is too safe obviously like th- that particular taste people are more or the audience is more critical to it mm-hmm. the fact that they are more exposed to it do you feel like maybe that is specific to being in art school or did you see it in other parts of Europe when you were doing residencies as well? I feel like I was exposed to it in other parts as well. Mm-hmm. 
uh, in Italy. It's not necessarily that two-dimensional work or sculptural work wasn't there. Like there was, there's so much of it, but like the, the appreciation felt for me at least more with like time-based work, you know. And then more, most artists working around those lines, like or technical-based, you were using technology somehow. And obviously, I think it's just also the times that you know most of the young artists are working in that particular material is like uh, as part of their work as opposed to uh, uh, using more traditional uh, means of art making. So, um, Pums, I remember when you got the opportunity to study in Switzerland, you did an incredible crowdfunding campaign. And I remember I bought one of your artworks for that crowdfunding. Was that how you managed to raise money to go study there? Or did you get other funding opportunities? When I was accepted for the study program, I, I was accepted without a scholarship when I applied in 2014. Then I reapplied again in 2015 and also applied for the International Study Fund with the National Arts Council. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, yes. Uh, yes, yes. And obviously the, the, the funds were not really enough to cover the tuition, uh, travel arrangements and accommodation mm-hmm. just to live there for uh, a year. So the crowdfunding happened with in collaboration with Mbali Jamini. There, there was like a, a kind of artist fund where she did like a fundraiser for her master's project. Oh, so, amazing. yeah, through, this, through the success of her master's crowdfunding, uh, she came with the idea like, oh, guys, let's come together and each artist contributes work and creates a, a silent uh, auction, if I may say, like fundraising. And then from there, like, funds can be distributed. So, she did that for her master's uh, project. We spoke about it. Then she's like, no, like, we can pursue this avenue as well for you. So, yeah, I did a crowdfunding. Indiegogo. Indiegogo. Yes, yes, Indiegogo. <laughs> it was quite interesting. It was I was I was really exposed to like crowdfunding or you know uh, these kind of opportunities. But it re- it really helped to kind of get in touch a lot with different people who didn't necessarily know about Pumal Nduli or know what Pumal Nduli does or is about. And at the same time, it was just within also close proximities, uh, friends and family and. You know, people like yourself and, you know, um, and obviously like some of the artists in the assemblage community, they contributed work. And then we did the auction. And then I, I produced like a series of silk screen prints. Uh, because of course, you have to give people something. It's not necessarily like they give you money just, you know, for fun, you know. Yeah. So like for, for me, it was like a big part of uh, making a fundraiser just to give something at the same time. So of course, it is just like maybe selling work, but in a different way somehow. Yeah. And it was successful, yeah. so yeah, it was a. It was very successful. Yes, I, I yeah, I managed to raise a good amount of money, and uh, with the money that I got from the National Arts Council, was actually enough for me to stay there for the whole year. I think maybe a good segue from your background into your artistic practice is. I bought one of those works and it's this. And yeah, this quite amazing. Screen. Yeah, they were beautiful. Um, and it's basically a, a human form, like shoulders up, and it's kind of yeah. got a lace overlay. Yeah. And yeah. I, I'd like to talk about this lace motif that I think is very prominent in your work. It's from your early work out of university when you created these beautiful sculptures out of um, lace. Mm-hmm. And I see on your website some of your latest works from 2019, mm. you still have the lace motif and in the form of a shield. Yeah. And I'm just really interested in how you've used lace, especially in relation to a strong motif like a shield. What is your thinking around this juxtaposition of material and yeah. symbol? Yeah, um, I think, yeah, yes, you're, you're definitely right. The the lace, or maybe rather the, the because it came about like as a doily. Ah, uh, okay. The, the doily motif was... Yeah, I think the, the, the issues of identity obviously were per, pertinent and predominant as well during my undergrad studies at uh, the University of Johannesburg. And uh, I think one of the challenges of obviously also working with the art school, I don't know if it's still encouraged as well, how does one embody a specific material? Uh, my mother used to kind of make doily-based things like um, well, she did jerseys and scarves and these kind of things. And she had like a lot of toilets in, in her house where, where I grew up. 
well, my mother is late now, but I think also the idea came about uh, during the time also like going through my own personal experiences to kind of shape my personal narrative um, around like art making. The Dodies was kind of like immediate, like kind of object that kind of spoke to me. And it still does even now that probably like that's why I still kind of took a stronghold on it. Then it was also for me thinking about like the issues of domesticity, the female body figured within the male body. I was raised by, by a single mother as well. The the dolly became that material which I was trying to uh, embody in my own personal narrative posthumously after my mother passed away. So like, just to feel more connected to her somehow. Yeah, the moment it kind of speaks differently, but the narrative is kind of still the same. Where I not necessarily like use my own personal body, uh, use other bodies as kind of point of references as well. Mm. I was actually going to ask about the human figure that is ever present in your work, in your prints, in your drawings, in your collages, and in your mm. performance work. I was wondering, it feels very autobiographical often. It feels like it is your own body. Mm. I mean, obviously in your performance work, it very frequently is your body that you're using. Yeah. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, um, I think uh, the human body, I think, I think it's just one of the things that for me kind of is kind of difficult to like escape it all uh, totally. Uh, I haven't been able to leave the human narrative outside of you know art making. And obviously like certain materials also or certain like supports kind of dictates how certain material speaks to other materials, you know. Well, which then I was more using it as a more sculptural object, but now is overlaid as a two-dimensional aspect of the work as opposed to like a three-dimensional project where some of the motifs, I kind of reconstruct them somehow as more like a weaving process uh, using like digital tools, like maybe Photoshop or these kind of things, where then I was working with it more like physically, you know. Yeah, that's the only difference that I kind of maybe can speak to the material as I'm using it uh, at the moment. Can you tell me a little bit more about your interest in performance as a medium and how is it understood and received by audiences? Yeah, I think also performance is it's a very difficult where one decides to preconceive a performance. One cannot necessarily like think about the audience, what's their modes of perceptions, uh, the entry points that they're exposed to. Like different performances speak differently. Uh, where at the same time, other performances within the public space has their own like tensions and like you know dis- disruptions that happen. At the same time, where I'm not necessarily like pushing a lot uh, more like within the public space anymore. Most are more like staged. Why is that? So, I don't know how it came about, but it felt the issues of engaging the public space for me was was not necessarily like important anymore. Uh, where one can feel like they are. You know, deceiving, you know, like, I don't know if I should say this, but like ways to like being deceptive, you know, like the audience can listen, cannot necessarily know if the performance is staged or if it's just impromptu, you know. You mean in public space, like as opposed yeah, to if, if you bring them to like an, a gallery or a theater, then they know what they're signing up for. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. So that, I think that's the only difference that I felt resonated. And then at the same time, was I was more aware how the documentation of the performance plays a, a, like a major, like a different afterlife as an artifact, you know, of, of a performance. So I was more interested to push that a lot more rather than uh, issues of taking uh, risk with the audiences and like trying to f- understand or figure out how audiences respond to different things where um, one would maybe decide to be more provocative and those kind of things, you know. So for me, it was more pushing the ideas of documentation, like what does documentation do? What can the document do in its own life, you know, outside of a performance? Mm. Hence video, video making, um, happened. Yeah. If we talk about your earlier performance work, for example, the Unjondolo project, and that was quite a long-term project. I think it lasted a couple of years and yes. you had the exhibition at the Goethe on Main in Johannesburg and uh, performed at Infecting the City in Cape Town in 2014. So that project was very much about taking your form mm-hmm. and putting it into public space and engaging with public audiences. Mm-hmm. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that performance project? 
Yes, that, that performance project, I think I, I did mention previously that it came from to the Tupelo workshop. So it kind of started very early, around 2012. I think I posted for maybe four years. So, for example, the experiences of staging the performance in Infecting the City was more engaging with the audiences outside of me as a performer. It wasn't just myself. I asked a few friends to take part in the performance. So where we figure out kind of multiply like bodies in the public spheres. Can you describe what an audience would see in this project? What is the performance consist of? Uh, is a shack. Uh, then the ideas of informality and being placed uh, uninvited, unannounced within any particular situation was an important uh, thing. It wasn't necessarily like scripted somehow, but we went through several rehearsal, you know, of engaging the costume as well, engaging the shack. So the shack is uh, this like red costume and it spoke to the evictions that happened in Johannesburg around like, 2009 and the xenophobic attacks and, and these kind of things. So, and and also the red ants that were predominant in Johannesburg, like with the informality of buildings uh, being occupied and people being chased away. So it was this this costume made with an umbrella. It's a costume where actually one wears it, but the figure, you, you cannot necessarily see it. So it's just red fabric. It takes different shapes and different bodies based on, well, for example, maybe it could be the weather that blows the wind out. So it kind of uh, moves as well. So, but obviously the body is inside this kind of a sheltered body. So the body is sheltered, but at the same time, it's not necessarily like safe. So the ideas of informality are not necessarily like safe spaces where people feel like they have a sense of uh, ownership of the environment that they occupy. So the, the ability to kind of move in one particular space was more like a symbolic aspect of using the the red costume and the shelter yeah tell me a bit more about the costumes that you use in your performances and the umbrellas and i know you've done a lot of work with packets bags Mm. um, created costumes with that can you tell me a bit more about the objects that you use well the objects obviously have a sense of a specific kind of familiarity but not all of them Um, there is a sense of familiarity or more like a sculptural approach to them the fact that the body can withstand carrying uh, these uh, sculptural works mm. so it's more like an interactive aspect or the ex- extension of a body as a costume uh, at the same time they're kind of more installation based they speak as objects in uh, in themselves without like a body figuring ways to act around it at the same time Mm. So at the same time, they really come organically. It's really soft material. Uh, it's not too hard. Like it's, it's something that the body can carry. Yeah. So like the ideas of like mobility, being able to like move and shift like spaces without having too much tensions on, on the body and how the body can withstand objects that the body engages with. I think there's sense kind of the sense of kind of movement felt also with the city, like one constantly sees like figures with a lot of things in their hands or in their bodies. So it really spoke to my observation as well. I just want to go back to Unjondolo project for a second. Mm-hmm. There's a text written by Nkateko Baloi in this publication that you produced yes. and he describes the project as being focused on the black experience of the townships mm. which is a very particularly south african experience and i'm curious as to how you were working on this project just before you did your masters in switzerland and i'm curious about how it was to make work of this nature in switzerland how it was received or did you change your practice mm. according to the context like tell me more about you know the themes that you were working with before you went there and how they may be mm-hmm. transformed when you were there mm-hmm. i think the the ways that i figured how the body interacts with the certain objects is more uh, obviously artifacts and more sculptural works um, it's something that i kind of took also with me when I was in Switzerland. But at the same time, it was also like uh, not necessarily like bringing any material there, but like having it as an opportunity to find new material. And then most of the material came, the, the, the idea of materiality also was kind of a big question um, because there was this like constant 
taste for dematerialization, you know, <laughs> to a point of like yeah. as a performer being new without anything else, you know. And obviously for me, it was a challenge because the idea of working with material already make performances more flexible and interesting uh, in a way that one as a body, as a performer with the audience, they also could rely on certain materials. For example, using the voice, using voice either by song or on spoken word or reading a text. So which were quite predominant issues that I was exposed to, like the idea of using voice, uh, the ideas of engaging with others as well, not like kind of inviting them within a performance piece, not necessarily like them being aware. I would actually maybe bring a certain some examples. This work that I made when I was there, it was for a performance festival. But of course, the space was was more like site-specific. Uh, what, what I constructed was like a more a topography of some sort, you know, where the audiences were invited to play in, in this kind of imaginary cityscape using bicycles in the space. So it was a very simple uh, approach to it. And obviously the, the idea of simplicity spoke to the context that I was in, like using like forms of everyday as part of, uh, you know, making, as opposed to like imagining really fictional or, you know, more like imaginary scenarios. It, um, so obviously like in Switzerland, a lot of people use bicycles. And so I mm. borrowed a few bicycles from friends and then, we were actors in this imaginary city in an industrial building. So kind of following a specific route. Then I had like a sound piece that the sound piece was a sound uh, extracted from Johannesburg, just an ambient sound of like the public sphere. So the, the cars hooting, people shouting and these kind of things. Mm. Do you think producing work in a different context, like in a different country, affects the politics of the work that you make? Yeah, I guess, uh, well, the politics are part of it because I guess there is like that idea of kind of making sense to the audiences, uh, unless the audience has prior knowledge of what the artist is doing or is all about, you know. Because I think most of the people there necessarily, and I think at the same time, because I was within the school environment, so the, the idea of exploring was immediately encouraged, you know. So I guess the idea of observing the public spheres or certain issues or quotidian experiences that people go through on a day-to-day basis, mm. uh, where they would think of them in a different way and then try to dissect it or like put it in a very simplified form that it's kind of more interesting somehow. I feel like, uh, yes, there is that aspect which is really important, but it's not like important all the time because certain performances can be like staged anywhere or be realized uh, the same way. Being aware of the politics of space and uh, the quotidian experiences of the audiences and what they're already exposed to. It also like, speaks to like ideas of site specificity somehow. For example, the building itself was like, there was so much, so much narrative around the building outside of anything else. So I use that as part of the research process. Okay. How, how do I kind of figure out around, you know, this space? So it was like an industrial building that they were using as a, a vegetable market. When I think, when I was thinking about Johannesburg as well, it was just like borrowing all my own experiences outside of that context and like merging it together somehow. Yeah, the audience could relate to some part and not necessarily make sense to some part because, of course, in Switzerland is a, it's a very quiet city. I mean, quiet country as well. Like people are very cautious of what they say like you know even like shouting in the in this public space can you know be a performance project people look at you like crazy like oh who's this person what are they doing you know kind of thing i think like the most pertinent like issues were more like everyday experiences of the people and obviously i also carried most experiences from soweto from uh, johannesburg and from anywhere else in south africa that we have been and then like i think they're part of they're part of the material or the narrative that one immediately has, you know? Yeah. So it's just like figuring how they kind of make sense outside of it or just to make a dialogue in between both. Mm. Do you feel like your work has, uh, since you've been back since 2017 or 2018, do you feel like your work since then has kind of become a bit more contextual to South Africa again? I think, yeah, it has been just kind of a main challenge, but uh, I think my like final project for my master's, for the master's program helped me to stay within the South African context somehow, like in ways that I was trying to reenact how the Marikana happened. Mm-hmm. 
uh, or the afterlife of the of the work was uh, I think I think of it as more uh, a performance on its own, you know, like where miners came, you know, together in a public space to like protest. Uh, where I, I also figure it's that situation around how other artists have used the ideas of perf- uh, performance or protest performance as part of material, you know. So I think using that aspect of South Africa helped me a little bit to like still find my feet here and not necessarily like forget about these kind of issues altogether. Yeah. So tell us a little bit more about this final work you did for your master's about Americana. What was the work? It was like a live performance. It's kind of like four channel based uh, performance. So I took one of the transcripts from the, the Americana archives uh, just to, uh, I think it was just like, there was just so much material. And then obviously like what kind of shocked me was like most people didn't necessarily know that there was like uh, this public archive that has a website and, you know, there's like yeah. so many photographs, like uh, transcripts, uh, audio recordings and newspaper clippings, also made in Guardian did an aftermath of the Margana where they kind of visited their families and yeah, just to like tell what they are part of the story. And this is this just like the, the life of an event that exists outside of, of its own because of course it has been like kind of long already, like since 2012, you know. Mm-hmm. So in a sense that like how materials are kind of put within the public space, within the digital spheres or digital space, like speaks to audiences because I think that's done intentionally, you know, like how things are really constructed, the ideas of fragmentation, like specific photographs, which speak to one event, but like you can't really position them in kind of one situation. I was looking at them within a more like an artistic gaze, and obviously, at the same time, it's more like a fiction based because the, the idea of an archive has also parallels of power, like who speaks for who as well. Yeah. You know? yeah. Is this algorithmic memory? Was that? Yes. Is yes, it... yes okay. So I was going to yeah. ask you I mean, this image is on your website and it looks really like a beautiful installation. Mm-hmm. So there's four channel video. Video, yeah. yeah. Um, and then you're doing a, a live performance mm-hmm. kind of next to it. Yeah, so it's a four-channel video projection, and then the text is one of. Uh, I'm not. Really, it's not really immediate in my mind, but it's from one of the protesters, or like that was taken. Uh, so the figure is kind of reciting or like telling what happened from like day one. Yeah, what I did was um, I took the transcripts. I was reading it, but not necessarily like all of it. So, uh, for example, in a sentence, let's say, what can I say? <laughs> Uh, in a sentence, uh, my name is Punani Dulu. I'll say my name, Duli, that kind of thing. So uh, just to play with the ideas of constructing a narrative in a way that like it's broken down. It was, it was speaking around ideas of fragmentation, how a narrative or the story is like fragmented. So, yeah. In my research on you, um, I came across <clears throat> a really beautiful video on the Bag Factory website on your profile page yeah. called Tide Rope. Yes. I couldn't see which year it was. What what year did you make that? Uh, it was 20, 2018. Yes, okay. 2018. So it, it's a black and white film and it seems to tell the narrative of Joburg and Bag Factory and Tapello and David Kowane and mm. just tell me a little bit more about this and you need to put it on your website as well, please. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, uh, Tide Rope was uh, a video video project. Uh, it was it was commissioned by the PPC. Yeah, it, it won the PPC awards in 2018. I think it was for the 2019. Like it was for oh, last. Wow. Yeah, it was for last year. It was for last year's awards, but the earlier ones. Um, so, but it was done in 2018. So, obviously, with my interest in video, uh, yes, I proposed to the PPC, and then yeah, they were excited about the project, so they they gave me money to <laughs> produce it. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. So it speaks to it's it's an essay film, and at the same time, it is kind of different with maybe some of my work because it's more like done with the specific aesthetic to it. Well, it's an essay film formats where it's not necessarily like what the interviewees say but like more about the sequence of each image like how images follow one another somehow so it follows obviously it follows david Golane and pet mahutra uh, within the back factory it was more like an architect- architectural environment and how 
it kind of has a specific voice. And what was interesting about uh, the Back Factory for me was the kind of, I mean, the texture of the building has this kind of like, it had so many textures to it. Like, you know, the ceiling is kind of falling apart in this kind of thing, you know. <laughs> yeah. You know, so I use those as part of like, at, uh, like uh, kind of gestures in the film. So yeah, it's it's just, it's speaking to, uh, back to what David Kolani and Pet Mahotra are saying at the same time also having a sequence on its own. Yeah. So yeah, I collaborated with quite a lot of people as well in the one. It must have been just before David Kolani passed away. So you're very lucky to have had that time with him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, we also been speaking. We spoke a lot, a lot about it because I initially wanted to to do it, but the fact that like also PPC was there, and then there was like a, a budget to do it. Like I was like, oh, cool, like it kind of works. Because there, there was a specific quality to like how I wanted to produce it. Um, yeah, yes, it was quite fortunate that I worked with like David Kolwani when uh, he was still alive. Uh, and at the same time, when I came to the Back Factory, I was, I was more pushing to kind of, because he was also doing like stop animations as well. Like he had like a series of stop motions. David. So I wanted, yes, he has. Really? Yeah, I think he did like two or so. Like there, there was one at the exhibition wow. at Standard Bank. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So I wanted to work, I was more keen to uh, collaborate with him to do like a stop motion video or something. But yeah. Uh, that's what we mentioned. and did you no 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 it didn't happen oh, shame. yeah <laughs> yeah um are you influenced by any south african performance artists uh <laughs> or international yeah. you can go straight to international if you like my main influences is john Akonfra. um he's a british-based filmmaker well he yeah he's a filmmaker he's been making films with the black film and audio collective uh kodo eshun works with like uh, film although like their their work also is more performance based but how they they kind of figure they, themselves within performances has to do more with like text you know text based well it's more like ri- writing somehow you know and then they like read them out and maybe make a video of it as, at the same time so this uh, german artist hito styles she's a, a german theorist but she's an artist as well working across uh, film and performance. And then my main kind of influences in South Africa is uh, Tracy Rhodes. I love Tracy Rhodes' work. And then since since I, I graduated, I've been like really, I think I took it as like, as a, like a stepping stone to like figure out myself around like performance-based work in video because she also works with video and photography as well. Yeah. What have been your greatest challenges as an emerging artist? I think the, the challenges, especially like working in South Africa, the kind of also taste as well of the sort of can like uh, art making practices are more within like not necessarily commercial based art making but like you know two dimensional uh, kind of approaches to work where time based and performance based work had its own pri- I feel like it had a prime somehow but like some somehow it slowly died down and then you know people are coming back to it again you know but it's like that push and pull which hasn't really been able to like sustain itself widely we don't necessarily have a lot of like festivals maybe dedicated to time-based and performance-based work. There is a few, but it's not quite a lot. What has been a big moment for you in your young art career? What is your proudest achievement to date? Yes, my, wow. Like the fact that I managed to like go to Switzerland in 2015, where it was just an idea. Like at some point it was just an idea. And the fact that it eventually happened was like, one of the big, biggest experiences ever. I think it unleashed fear or like ideas of being unsure or being uncertain, you know? Like anything that one really thinks about, like it's possible. It's just, of course, it is also dictated by maybe issues of support, you know, who has your backing and those kind of things. And I think that like, if you need something, it's equally important to like tell people what you need, like, you know, and then yeah. if there is a possibility to make it happen, it, it's going to happen. Yeah. So yeah, going to Switzerland for me and when I was there having the time to like travel to different countries and like experience different like cultures was one of my highlights. The fact that I was able to see myself outside of uh, the enclave of South African art making and like, you know, put myself out of that situation was one of the key moments, you know. And um, in 2019, you were included on the Congo Biennale? 
Oh yeah, yes, yeah. Last year, uh, yeah, I, I took part in the um, Congo Biennale. Uh, it was the first iteration of the Congo Biennale. It happened in September uh, with a residency, a one-month one month residency. Uh, we had a show in October. And then the first one was the Young Congo, was more uh, Kinshasa-based young artists uh, who are working at Kin Art Studio. Uh, it's one of the producers of the Congo PNL. So finally, um, Pums, what are you working on now and how do you think the coronavirus will impact the way you make art going forward? Yeah, it's been uh, kind of difficult to outsource uh, some material that I kind of work with in the studio more like paper and uh, canvas, which I use for my college work. Uh, at the same time, I think uh, during the, this lockdown, what really helped me to pause a little bit from not necessarily like overproducing, but like rethinking of work that I've done already was figuring out how to conceive a more like motion based, like stop motions for my work. Because I think like video really speaks a lot to it. I think it's just one of my like main, main uh, interest. I feel like it's also difficult to escape it because I want to see things moving or, you know, I think the, the influence can, comes from uh, working with performance. I want to think, see things moving than being being static. So it's just taking the static static work and then making video animated stop motion works with those. So this, this is what I've been doing at the moment. Also, like, yeah, maybe applying for residencies. <laughs> Pumlani, thank you so much. And it was lovely chatting to you and hearing about everything because I haven't really even heard about your Switzerland experience. So that was... Oh, yeah. We never... We haven't actually sat down and spoken. (laughs) (laughs) So it was, yeah, it's just good moments to to do that. And yeah, yeah. Thank you very much. Well, thank you for being on the show. And um, I look forward to seeing what you get up to in the next year. All right, cool. Thank you very much uh, for inviting me later. Okay, cool. Bye, Pums. Keep well. Ciao. Thank you so much to Pumlani and to you, the listeners, for joining me today. Please follow Unframed on Facebook and Instagram and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Please rate and review us as it will help us to get more followers. Also, share this episode with your networks and encourage them to follow Unframed too. Thank you. See you next time. Bye. Then I later on, I think I took the same project like a year after for the Guton, uh, the Code Institute when they had the GPS at the main, at the main. I think yeah, that was like my, my way to kind of like see how a performance piece can, can be like a project. And obviously that came about interacting with a different artists, giving me insights of, okay, this is what you can do. Um, you can document this and show it as a video piece. Uh, you can restage the performance in different contexts with the festivals and, and, and such and things like this. So yeah, doing the, the goods on main projects, I think I explored that more in depth, looking at the documentation of the performance and making video mainly for showing it as a video, but recording the performance. The same project I took it to also in fact in the city, did a little small publication. And obviously that demand also came to collaborate with different artists. So the fact that now, yes, uh, I couldn't necessarily put it together by myself. So uh, a few friends that were available during the time, Kateko, Valoi, and Bule Mahopa, formed some working group. We didn't necessarily have like a name for it, but we just like working together because we resonated with what everybody was doing.